Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate through rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Jennifer Briggs is the Senior Strategy Consultant at the Baser Institute, an institute that works to advance the understanding and practice of employee ownership as an effective and responsible business model. Previously, she was the VP of Human Resources with New Belgium Brewing for 13 years and helped reshape the business and grow the team to over 900 employees. Jennifer believes that involving employees or employee ownership can actually increase revenue and do it effectively. She also believes that conscious capitalism is the key which will elevate humanity through business. Our interview will continue after messages from our sponsors. Hello, leaders. Just wanted to share with you that I'm trying out this new app called Wisdom. You know that I'm always looking to grow in wisdom and to share what I've learned. So join me live in 2022 on Saturday, January 8th at 12 noon Eastern Time on the Wisdom app for a conversation on being fully resourced. My handle there is at Liliana. That's L-I-L-Y-A-H-N-A. I've included a link in the show notes for easy access. So join me live to listen, converse, ask questions, and learn how we are fully resourced to co-create our future. I'm so looking forward to connecting with you. Welcome, Jennifer Briggs. How are you? I am great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes, I am so ready. And uh, you have such a great podcast with so many guests. I'm excited about this. Well, we're excited to have you. Uh, Now tell us a bit about your leadership journey, what you're doing now. So what I'm doing now is I primarily work in the field of employee ownership. And so that is this very unique opportunity for businesses to be owned by their employees through a qualified trust. There's something that's available in the United States in the form of ESOPs and some other tools. And then there's also cooperatives in the United States and throughout the world. And in the UK, they have employee ownership trusts. So it's just something that's not known very much. But I think the form of how a company is owned is also very powerful for the individuals in terms of how do they show up at work and Who can they be? What can they make a business? So that's mostly what I do. I love this concept of employee ownership because I guess you get buy-in from everybody to make sure the company or the organization continues to grow. And at the same time, we all take responsibility. So how did you arrive there? Like, what was your journey to get to that place? You know, I kind of fell into it by accident, but really my leadership journey started as a teenager. I 
had a child very young, my freshman year in high school. And through the experience of being a mother and doing that, I realized the power of community and community help and how important that was. And that that can also be applied in the corporate sense, that corporations have a social engine and a financial engine. And when those two engines work together incredibly well, you have a really high performing business. And I worked for a public company for a while and did some jobs, but I fell into this job at New Belgium Brewing, which is a brewer in Fort Collins, Colorado and Asheville, North Carolina. I worked there for almost 13 years. And our founder, Kim Jordan, she also had a background in social work. And you just don't see that aspect of leadership come through. And Kim, as well as all my peers on the executive team, we had so much ability to run a company in, I don't even want to call it non-conventional because we did some conventional stuff, but the style, the vibe, how we connected with people was so different. And so I left there a few years ago to just continue to work on employee ownership. So I work for the University of California, San Diego um, in the Beister Institute. We help employee-owned companies, and I'm also the interim CEO for Modern Times Beer in San Diego. So this is just something that I've really invested my life in because I believe in it, but I believe in it because I've seen it and been a part of it. It's powerful. You know, you say that it happened by accident, but we all know nothing really happened by accident. That is so I know, I know. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's powerful. I love that connection where as a single mom, you found the power of community. And you said also that you came across a leader or someone you partnered with who was a social worker. Leadership to me is all about social emotional development. And social workers tend to have this on right. They get that we have to develop emotionally. And oftentimes, you know, that's not really taught in schools. Emotional intelligence, emotional quotient is really not taught in schools. I think it's changing now. But to me, social and emotional skills are leadership skills, wouldn't you say? I agree. And that's one of the things I think, whether, you know, for CEOs or anyone in the C-suite, we tend to have pigeonholed, like the HR representative of the company as the person who takes care of the social stuff. But businesses are social organizations. They're full of people with ideas and problems and conflict and challenges and gifts and talent. And if we're not working with that, you can't just keep throwing money at problems. At some point, you have to invest in the people. And to your point, the first part, that was one of the things I discovered, though, at New Belgium, that the real power of employee ownership is I have to be able to own myself first. And when I can own myself first, I can therefore then be an employee owner. But from a leadership perspective, this was something I learned from World Blue is high self-worth leaders grow other high self-worth people. You know, we just in business, I think, too much ignore the social aspects of it. Right. What is it? They call it soft skills. (laughs) (laughs) We got to change that name. We got to change that name. I know. It's still happening. I still have conversations where people say that. I'm like, what? So I also read in your leadership statement, something that you believe in conscious capitalism. Tell us about that. I am a capitalist. And in some circles, some people in my orbit, capitalism is a bad word. But I think there's different forms of capitalism. And, you know, we exchange capital all the time. Commerce happens. We buy and sell things from each other. And I think when you do that consciously, when you think about whether it's from an environmental perspective, 
which we know well. I mean, the environmental movement has done so well. You know, when we think about the clothing we buy, we think about how we consume things. You know, we're conscious about what we buy. And some people are conscious about the businesses they work for. But then on the social labor side, I think we need to be even more conscious about that. You know, there's a lot of businesses in the world that I work in, like King Arthur Flower, Cliff Bar, Modern Times Beer, and other companies they're working really hard on this. So as customers, if we can be conscious of who we buy from and who we give money to, because where the profits go does matter. When those profits can circle back into our communities and circle back you know, with people that will actually really invest it in different ways, I think that's really, really important. So I am a proud capitalist, but I'm also a proud conscious capitalist and that we can use this system for social good but we have to learn how to do that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I'm learning about is quantum leadership. I'm just learning. And if I get this wrong, just come on as a guest and school me about <laughs> quantum leadership. What I understand that, and I'm, again, I'm just reading about it, is leaders who aren't just concerned about who they lead directly, but is concerned on a more macro level, a global level, a community level, and how their leadership impacts the world. And when I think of what you're doing, that comes to mind, quantum leadership. So as an organization who gets this or who's beginning to get this, how can they connect with you to learn more about it? Well, an easy way is just to follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I work for, like I said, the Beister Institute at the University of California. So you can follow us as well, too. There's organizations like the National Center for Employee Ownership, the NCEO, who we have a really strong partnership with. So there's actually a really big thriving community. Even on Twitter, if you just follow the hashtag employee ownership or employee owned, these topics will come up. And as much as like, Sometimes I don't like Twitter. I keep my community pretty small on there too. There's a lot of people who are doing this. And I think what's fun for me is when I see someone who's just discovered it and then they start learning more about it and they realize, wow, there's all these amazing cooperatives. There's all these amazing ESOPs. There's these other companies. And, you know, sometimes we get it wrong, but a lot of times we get it right. And so everybody's on this journey of learning and sometimes we fail, but we grow from it. And so it's a really healthy, fun community. And of course, I have my own website that's called A Life in Mosaic, A-L-I-F-E-I-N-M-O-S-A-I-C, alifeinmosaic.com. And I have some blogs there where I write about leadership ideas and things like that. But, you know, I'm in this because it's a passion and I can tell it's so much fun. It's a very open community. There's a lot of free ways to learn and discover. So come join us. We need more people to ripple this idea out. So I'm certainly going to check that out. Thank you so much. Now we're recovering from the global pandemic, COVID-19, I think, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm certain that you've learned a couple of things. Can you share any quotes, advice, practice that has helped you most during crisis? One of the things I'm most concerned about is our addiction to technology, Slack addictions. And as we've gone more online and into our virtual avatars, I get really concerned about the social experiences people are having with each other. And so that kind of leads me into like what is most helpful is really when we do get to connect in person, make sure it's a powerful connection. Tell those stories, make eye contact. I know a lot of people for various reasons, the idea of human touch for 
good and bad reasons. We're all very cautious about that connection, but I think we're going to have to get back to that. And so that always inspires me, even with my own family. I try to hug people with a way better hug. You know, in the past, I gave you like the hello pat, um, you know, and so it's finding those moments. And I think the pandemic has made us very conscious of what are the right moments? What are the right times? Um, How do we re-engage? How do we connect with each other in the most meaningful ways? Because this time, the in-person time that we have with people is so precious that we can't take it for granted. And the same is true in the business world. You know, we don't get that many chances to be with our coworkers. So when we do, how do we make the most of those moments? But that's gonna require us to be conscious about how we use technology as a tool, not how do we let technology use us as a tool. And I'm with you, human touch is so important. Connection is so important. Even when we're here, I love keeping the camera on, even though this is an audio, because I get to connect with you. You're in California, I'm in New York, but your passion just flows through. Your empathy, your love, all of those things are important as we go forth in leadership and become who we need to be in this world. So thank you so much. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Did COVID-19 make you realize your business has a lot more risks than you thought? COVID opened our eyes to the under and uninsured risks business owners face, and many are still struggling with today. But did you know the government created a tax code to help business owners set aside tax-deferred funds to help mitigate those risks? It's called an 831B plan, and every Fortune 500 company has one. Now that it's more affordable than ever, small to mid-sized companies can participate and ensure their business weathers the storm, whatever the future holds. If you want to protect the success you've worked so hard to build, visit 831B.com to learn more. That's 831B.com. Now, Jennifer, as a lifelong learner, what are you learning right now? You know, I'm always learning about social emotional intelligence because I don't think you ever stop learning about that and that connection. The other part that I'm learning is going to sound kind of boring, but I've really invested myself into behavioral economics and corporate governance. And there's this emerging world, I don't know, emerging might not be the right term, but environmental social governance within businesses where businesses are looking at how do they impact environment, how do they impact social, and how do they impact governance. But unfortunately, what so many companies are doing is treating it like a program again. Anytime we treat something as a program, like we can wait, it'll go away, and we'll be on to something new and different. So what I do is I'm an independent outside director. And so when I serve on boards, I want to make those not programmatic. I want to help companies bring these things into their brand DNA to how they live in their corporate culture so that it's a real thing that can last for a long time. Boards aren't just about looking at the financials. Boards are about looking at, are we good corporate citizens? So I'm really going deep into that field now. I'm encouraged that you're on a board. Um, We need more women on boards. I actually graduated recently from the ACES program with Michelle Ashby. And that's the goal, to get more women on boards, because we need that difference in thinking. Yeah, I love what I do really right now. But like I said, it kind of goes back to we have the money and we have the humans. And they have to work together because we're for-profit businesses that we work in. But 
we can be good for-profit businesses and we can do it in the right way. And we don't have to be always like maximizing and cutting costs to the extreme that we hurt the people that we as leaders serve. So that's the conscious capitalism that kind of all goes full circle is the more we can buy from companies that are doing good work, the more good work they can do. Right. And so you do good work and you do it in many organizations. So when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? It really is that building social emotional intelligence, you know, to be candid, the organization I'm working with now with Modern Times, we went through a rough patch before I arrived and people are wounded, they're hurt. People have gone through some really terrible times for various reasons. And so how can leaders serve a role in helping them heal? And so I think that's a big thing. How can we help each other heal so we don't have these wounds and this trauma that allow us not to show up as our best selves? And so it's not like we're ignoring the wounds and the traumas, but we're healing from them. And I think businesses are going to have to play a role in this healing process. But that also leads me to the hopeful part is I hope that because of all that we've learned, over these past two years is that we have a renaissance. Maybe it's not happening yet, but in six months or whenever that time comes that we go through our own renaissance where we reconnect, we see that creativity, we see the human aspect of it. And I would love to see that happen. And I think it'll be really powerful. So I'm excited about that. I love that word renaissance, like rebirth, renew, reconnect, creativity, all those things that you spoke about much needed. And so let's bring it. (laughs) I like it. I like the way you said that. Let's bring it. We have to heal too, though. You know, we've got to go through this healing phase and I hope that we're moving into a healing phase. I would like to hear more, see more, you know, the work that you do. I think it helps people connect with people that are, have high self-worth and can help other people. You're absolutely right. Mental health and wellness is something that we do need to focus on to heal ourselves. But also what I love that you said is as a leader is help support others in their healing journey. Super important. We can't ignore that. So thank you so much. Now you have an option here. You can take a question from a former guest or you can share a challenge or struggle that you learned from. I want to take the challenge. (laughs) You go. So Deborah Coviello wants to know, why don't leaders typically have the courage to ask for help? Like what holds them back? That's a great question. I think one of the things that hold them back is just this construct of leaders that we have. So we view leaders more often as the people who have to have all the answers. We put people through business school and teach them how to be leaders, but we don't teach the humanity of leadership. And, you know, some of it's our own fault is when leaders fail, especially right now, we like to kind of pounce on them. And It's a risk when you put yourself in a leadership seat. It's a very risky proposition because as a human, you're probably going to do something wrong. You're probably going to at one point like say something slightly wrong. And so the risk of failure is high. So that makes us not want to reveal our own humanity in it. It's much easier to stay stoic, to look at the numbers, to keep that straight face because showing emotion is a big risk right now. There's a wonderful, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a really fun YouTube video on followership where there's one guy and he's kind of crazy dancing and nobody's dancing with them. One of my favorite videos. (laughs) And I think that's it. At some point we have to choose 
to really be good followers and help our leaders show their humanity and get behind leaders that are humble and maybe they cry sometimes, maybe they do make mistakes, but we champion their recovery from those mistakes instead of, you know, burying them on Twitter. Of course, there's a lot of nuance to all of that that's really important, but it's a risk when you put yourself in the top seat and it's scary sometimes, but we don't encourage people to share their fear. So I love a lot of what you said, um, that we need to focus on the humanity of leadership because we don't have all the answers. It is high risk being in positions of leadership, but you also said a key word that I always listen out for, especially in interviews like this, is humility. I think that's one of the top things that leaders need to be because to me, humility and wisdom go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And there's so much to learn. I love that you're bringing this to the table. And it also makes sense with the work that you do that you would talk about the humanity of leadership. And so thank you so much. Now, as a listener of this podcast, Jennifer, what's a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? Like, what are you curious about? I would like for somebody to look at some of the brands that they buy and talk about why that brand, why would you give that company your money to dig into, you know, the conscious capitalism part of it, the conscious consumerism side of the conscious capitalism. So what is one or two of the top things that you buy and why do you buy from that brand? I've never had that question posed. I think it's a really smart one. It makes sense with what you do. I'm going to be doing that from now on. Um, my goodness, I have a lot of thinking to do. <laughs> I'm going to be busy. It is. Once you start looking just around what's in, and sometimes it's hard for us, especially like technology. I'm looking around here at my desk right now. It's like, why did I buy this computer? Not particularly because I wanted to support this company, but I don't know that there's any one in this particular field that builds things like this that, you know, I want to invest in. But, you know, I think of clothing and food in particular, you know, we can make choices. Um, there's a farmer's market down from my home in Colorado, and I try to go there often to support them. Patagonia is a brand that I've always admired because they make their clothes more durable. So when you think about planned obsolescence, you know, what are the companies that are really kind of trapping us in this? consumer thing and what can we buy that's both useful and helpful but again on the environmental front it's so much easier there's so much more transparency around environmentalism I don't think we have enough around labor and leadership I'm excited for that to get highlighted more and I think the pandemic has shown a light on who's really creating value in organizations environmental consciousness you're talking about diversity also and humanity i love it all right so is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners you know i love the podcast and i love how many people talk about their daily rituals especially as i've gotten into more tense or stressful work having those kind of daily rituals whether it's a meditation or a mantra or a prayer you know, of something goodness that you put out in the world and too much in business, we think of that as kind of woo-woo stuff. But once you talk to people and a lot of the guests on your podcast have that and it's not woo-woo, you know, it's actually a very healthy way, I think, to start and end your days. And so, you know, whatever those habits and rituals are, I just think they're so important to keep you balanced because if we can't take care of ourselves, we can't really take care of the people around uh -huh. us. That is absolutely right. Now, what are your rituals or things that you do daily? 
mine is pretty, I guess, typical. You know, I do some morning yoga stretches. I have both a mantra and a prayer or setting my intentions for the day. And they've just become really repeated for me. And so I can say them with a lot of intensity and intention now. That maybe when I started getting into the habit, I try to incorporate a lot of Buddhism into my day. You know, when I get frazzled, always keeping myself centered. Meditation is really important for me. So yeah, it's the body-mind connection and just finding ways to pause. I was with a founder yesterday, an owner of a company. He announced to his employees that he had sold it to the ESOP. And one of the things is I touched his arm and I said, I really want you to just pause because this is a moment very few people get to experience. Just stop. You know, don't worry about your presentation. Don't worry about your speech. Just take a breath and realize the importance of what you're doing. This is a big deal to all these people. You're building a future for them. And so I think that's something that from time to time I can do is, I think we all can do though for people is when we see them in these moments and they're so, you know, go, go, go. It's like, hey, let's just take a minute and think about what you're doing. Because this is a precious moment and you need to, you know, get it into those neural pathways of gratitude Precious moments actually happen all the time, but we fail to realize them. So when we can serve as an agent to help people pause and realize the power of the moment, I think we should. And I want to share with you the power of your words, because as you were saying that, I was receiving that for me. And so I'm sure our listeners have also received it for them. I had chills and I'm, oh. I'm, and thank you for the inspiration. And I can tell you've done a lot of work in this area and it's such a passion of yours. Tell us one more time your website and where we can connect with you. So my personal website is called alifeinmosaic.com. So A-L-I-F-E-I-N-M-O-S-A-I-C.com. And for employee ownership, it's the Beister Institute. And you can just Google search Beister Institute. It's located inside the University of California, San Diego, inside the Rady School of Management. And we teach employee ownership. Love it. Thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been a great conversation. Likewise. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.